Well, that was a question, wasn't it, that our Lord Jesus asked his disciples in verse 13 of Matthew 16, as we have it recorded there. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And that's our title for our sermon this morning. Who do people say that I am? Well, it was a great moment, a bit of a turning point for the disciples, certainly for Peter. Because he comes up with the right answer, not by himself, not unaided. He needed the Spirit of God to give him that answer. When in verse 16, of course, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Correct answer. And that wasn't flesh and blood revealed this to him, that this came from above my Father who is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus tells him. Well, there it is. That was the question out there in Caesarea Philippi, a little bit away from home turf of Galilee, out to more remote places. Why have been the topic of conversation before this question arose? We don't know. That's not necessarily there recorded for us. Did the question come right out of the blue? If you will, were they ambushed by it? You know, politicians coming up to elections particularly, but any time always have to be on their guard. That innocent question comes to them, but it's loaded and full of meaning, and you've got to come up with a pretty good answer for it. I'm afraid some of our politicians last week were a bit stumped by the question, what's a woman? And uh, all kinds of difficulties and griefs they got into with that one there. We feel rather sad for them, don't we, in that? Ambushed by a question. There's one indeed. Really have to give much thought to that one, did they? But surely they did, it seems. Well, we can, we can be drifting, can't we? We can be surprised by a question because we weren't engaged. We're drifting. And there are important questions to ask. We weren't asking ourselves. The question came. How prepared were we for the answer? Well, there it is. I ask you the question today. Who, who, who do you think the Son of Man is, the Lord Jesus? Are you able to give the answer that Peter gave, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Say it. Say it as it were, because you mean it and you know it for the fact, for yourself. Or is this a question that ambushes you this morning? I don't know how your day started, what's, uh, what happened on the way here. Hope you weren't put off by the road ahead closed signs, which are still up there and five, six miles away. And the road closure was about three miles that way or maybe two miles that way. Um, really quite confusing. Uh, what, what is your state of mind? Have I ambushed you? Or the Bible, putting it more strongly there, has it ambushed you with a question? Is it one you welcome? Is it one you wished hadn't been asked? Is it one that you would stumble to answer? Were you to be put on the spot where the media were to doorstep you and say, well, who do you say that he is? Would you mumble something? Would you be happy to give the answer that Peter gave? Well, there we have, because as we're going to be seeing, there's no more important question and no more important answer. A lot rides on the answer to this question. Not just for today, not just for the here, the now. Just to give the right answer you might expect a Christian to give or a Christian to hear from your lips, but to actually know for a fact that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. My first heading is this. There are lots of opinions out there. There are lots of opinions out there in answer to this question. If you're asking it today, there'll be lots of opinions out there when we go open air preaching in Belper or wherever else. Were we to stop people and ask them that question right out? Well, we'd get all kinds of answers. We surely will. And you can imagine some of them. Well, the answers then, the 
contemporary kind of uh, answers that people were doing where you used to do the, the box pop of the, the people of Capernaum, people of Galilee, or people of Caesarea Philippi. What the, what's their opinion? Well, the disciples here are faithfully reporting back. They're, they're part of that culture, not sort of insulated from it. They know what the people are saying, and it's always valuable, actually, to know what the people are saying, to understand well, what are people saying today, and to be able to give a concise report on that. That's what they do. They, they're asked a, a question here, begins uh, rather more distantly. It's not drilling down to the disciples themselves. Who, who do men say? What, what's, the, what's the opinion out there? What's the, uh, the voice, the, the word on the street? And so they faithfully report back. This is what people are saying. You'll notice the Lord supplies the answer to the question there already in saying, Son of Man, I, the Son of Man. That's a loaded, loaded title. comes from Daniel chapter 7. And it means I'm the son of God. It means I'm God, actually. Um, but anyway, what do the people say? What, what's their verdict on it? And back come the responses to that. Well, some say John the Baptist. A mighty figure, wasn't he? Just and a great uh, preacher, preaching that baptism for the remission of sin. Made an impact there. All of Judea went out to him. The Pharisees went out to him. People went out to him to ask, who are you? They thought he might be the Christ, the prophet, the coming one. Uh, and, and quizzed him. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not the Christ. He's coming after me, and I'm not worthy to stoop down and do his sandal straps. He's coming, and I'm sent actually there to reveal him to Israel. I mean, shown that the one upon whom the Holy Spirit descends and remains, he is the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I baptize with water, he says. There comes one after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. What's about the people who got muddled there? And maybe they hadn't properly understood John the Baptist's preaching, weren't aware of what he had said, and somehow muddled up the fact that he, he's dead. Perhaps he's come back, and this is his person. Perhaps his spirit has come back, or some weird idea that John the Baptist is now alive somehow in this person. So the Holy Spirit had descended upon the Lord Jesus at the River Jordan when John the Baptist tried to deter him from being baptized. It was the Holy Spirit had come down, the Spirit of John the Baptist, or indeed the spirit of Elijah. Well, truly, the Elijah had come was actually John the Baptist. So we can see that a muddle that we're in here, even though they're talking about the prophets, it was the prophet Malachi there who had spoken of one who would go ahead and upon whom would be the spirit of Elijah. That was actually John the Baptist. There's a real muddle of thought here. Well, no, it's not Elijah, though this Jesus, the son of man, is doing mighty works. And incredible works. There's no getting away from that. And Elijah did mighty works. So you can see, in a way, how there could be some sort of crossover here and some mistaking him to be a resurrected Elijah. Or Jeremiah, a great preacher. And one indeed who, who wept, didn't he? His head that it could be a fountain of tears for his people. So obdurate and so stubborn were they. Perhaps people recognize something of that. In the Lord Jesus, something of his ministry that just wasn't being heard, just wasn't being responded to. Warnings, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, believe the gospel. And yet so many of them didn't. Be like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Perhaps the Lord Jesus there, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Perhaps there were tears in his eyes at times. Certainly were when he wept over Jerusalem, but maybe at other times too. People thought that's like Jeremiah. Or one of the other prophets. And that was the that's what was being put around at that time. That was the, 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 the opinion poll. 
the kind of survey, what it would come back with. Well, we are too are surrounded by opinions. As I said, were we to stop people in the street, ask them, we would get all kinds of answers coming back. And maybe not that it's Jeremiah or Elijah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, but certainly some would say, yes, he's a moral teacher. This is Jesus. He's a moral teacher. He speaks good words, Sermon on the Mount, excellent words. And really, they just sort of line him up with every other religious teacher, every other kind of faith leader who would say, well, boiling it down in people's minds, boiling it down, it's be nice, be nice to people. I hope you and I are, in the best sense of that, nice to people. Though sometimes you have to tell them what they don't want to hear. And people accuse us of not being nice for doing that. And I think if they'd heard the Lord Jesus and what he had to say, I would say, well, that's not nice. <laughs> but anyway, apparently, boiling it down, at this distance removed, and with a Bible that's been sort of flitted and all the supernaturalism taken out, then he's a moral teacher, good teacher, teaching what's nice, be nice to people. That's about it. Or, well, really, let's not ask too carefully, too closely. Let's, let's just be content with a vague Jesus who's good, nice, let me use that word again. Perhaps we'll concede the supernaturalism into it. Well, let's not be too precise, and particularly let's not be too precise about his divinity. Something like that. That's, that's difficult. He's a man. Sure, there's that. But then God as well. How does that work? And people give up at that point. That's where Islam is, is skewered, isn't it, on that point? They can't, can't get through, can't get beyond that. Jehovah's Witnesses can't. Christadelphians can't. We're stuck. We're stuck on that. And so many people today who wouldn't align themselves with those religions, but nevertheless are, are basically stuck on that. A lot of people would say they believe in Jesus. Which Jesus? What sort of Jesus? What does that Jesus do precisely for you? We don't want to be too specific there. And people would just like to kind of leave it, leave it vaguely hanging in the air. Other people are very bold and enlist him for whatever cause that they particularly are galvanized by. Uh, people, stout defenders of capitalism will enlist him for that, or stout defenders of communism will enlist him for that. Um, people today, don't they, for gay rights and transgenderism, reckon they'd have him on side with them with that. Would they just? We, we query that one. And others would say, well, look, all of this, having a church, having somebody standing with an open Bible, and preaching, he'd have ended all of that. He would have been dead against hierarchies and clarity of doctrine. He'd have barged through all of that, sent a bulldozer to knock all that out of the way. And so people enlist him to their cause, the religious cause or some other political cause, and say that he would have been okay, he'd have been comfortable with that, but he wouldn't have been comfortable with you, and political opponent, whatever it might be. We're surrounded then by opinions, and most of them very unhelpful and would distract you and actually take you away from the answer that this is not what my father who is in heaven has revealed. This is what flesh and blood, people left to their own devices, intelligent people, intellectual people, theologian type people, but left to their own devices. This is what they come up with. And left to our own devices too, the kinds of things we might come up with. And we miss the way. Lots of opinions out there. Second heading, there is no more important matter to be clear on. So if there's fog out there, and that's fog in our own thinking, lack of clarity, well, in fact, I have got to press you, I've got to urge you here that actually there is no 
more important matter than this to be clear on. This is where clarity is absolutely urgent. It is the first priority. Though people out there may not welcome that, and when they get pressed a little bit, get quite shirty about it, quite testy and prickly, and end a conversation. But actually, it is for their own good that we try to urge them, think, be clear about this, because nothing is more important than getting this right. So the answer Peter supplied is the right answer, that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that was expected and of whom the whole Old Testament and all that the Old Covenant has is pointing us towards. And now he's here. And we recognize that fact. And if we are looking to have a relationship with God, if it is that we, we really do want to know our Father who is in heaven, that he is the one. He's the one who, before Peter or anybody else, opens doors, gives clarity, shows where this is all to be found, and who would center attention upon himself, would draw focus to himself. Quite a question, isn't it? Who do people say that I am? You might think a bit too taken up with himself here and worrying about other people's opinions. Here, this is a little bit uh, too full of yourself, isn't it, here? No, it isn't at all. He knew himself. He knew who he was. He knew his mission. He knew what his mission would accomplish. He knew what it would do for fallen human beings. No, you need to know who I am. And there is the answer supplied, the Christ, the one promised from of old, and who would save his people from their sin. That's what he came to do, friends, to save people from their sin. That's not just an abstract thing. It's a very definite thing. We need saving from our sin because our Father in heaven holds our sin against us. He doesn't forget. He has a long, long memory of us, who we are, what we bring into the world, our sinful hearts, what we do with our sinful hearts, the choices we make. The words that come, the thoughts that travel around, the hopes we have, not very good hopes at that, the unclean things that are there jostling for our attention and that we concede ground to, temptations that we yield to too easily and justify. He knows it all and he holds us to account for it. We travel forward in this world and whether we're fearing nuclear bombs or whether we're fearing conventional bombs or anything else by way of that, fear him. Fear him, who after the destruction of the body can destroy us in hell. Fear him, dear friends. Fear this God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Fear him who created from nowhere and nothing a world that is full of, actually at its best order, and beauty at its best. It is full of interest and that which stimulates the intellect and makes us to, to explore a world that with us, well, we're complex and interesting creatures, the very apex of his creation. And yet here we find ourselves, we can rise to great things. We can display at times remarkable self-sacrifice and kindness and bravery. And we're seeing that, aren't we, at the moment in the world at large there. And yes, can also be... Oh, full of ugly thoughts and ugly words and hate-filled and self-centered to an extent that it's just embarrassing. We embarrass ourselves at times. What we say, how thoughtless, how, how just full of my own 
uh, thoughts and ambitions that that is. And so there is a lot that needs forgiving by a God who knows everything. There's more than we know about ourselves and can account for all of that wickedness and evil intent. We need saving. And here is the very person who has come to do that very thing. And it's God himself coming in the flesh to do that very thing. God intervening, putting himself in the place. And what a place it's going to have to be that we can be saved from our sin and come into harmony with this God and be able to call him our father in heaven with a real affection meaning and an intention because it's real and we have a relationship with him the one who was a judge once and frowned upon us but is a father now and he smiles upon us and is that not remarkable and this is what he has come to bring because he is the son of the living god not an idol not a dead god not a god that just lives in some book and doesn't really help anybody at all but who's alive we pray to him we find grace and favor. We, we find prayers answered, helps given. And some of us can say even in this last week, that precise thing, help given. Living God. And this is his son. Not in terms of some adopted human being, not some angel figure, but his very son. The second person of the Godhead. God incomprehensibly made man, contracted to a span. This is he who addressed Peter and the disciples in Caesarea Philippi and from the word of God addresses you and me this very day and who takes us, doesn't he, to the question, not what they think, what do you think, who do you say that I am? Can you yet supply that answer there? It doesn't come because we're born in a Christian family. It doesn't come because we're born in whatever a Christian nation might look like. No such thing really, but people kind of think that there is. No, no such thing. But that doesn't help if it's called a Christian nation. That, that's not the thing there. Not a relationship to be earned, as though some good works. Coming here to church on a Sunday morning and dutifully listening to a sermon, well, that surely gives you a few points with this, this God. And you can sort of pull that out on Sunday, 13th of March, 2022. You sat and heard this fellow preaching. There you are. Well, no, friends, it's not. It's not a relationship that you can earn. Not something you can enter into there by good works, whatever those works might be. But it's a relationship that God establishes with you and me on his terms. A relationship that he makes to come into existence where there was no relationship before. And we were not a people, not his friends, not related to him. But then he changes that and says, yes, let it be so. Let them come. Let them be my people. Let them enjoy my favor and grace. Let them be able to call me. Our heavenly father, and I will be a father to them, protect and guard and guide them. I'll be a shepherd to them. I'll be all that they need for time and for eternity. They're going to need to do this. They're going to need to know about my son. And they're going to need to know about him very clearly, very accurately, that he bears sin. That he is a savior who has to die in the place of such sinners if they're ever to come to me. That I need to see justice done. A punishment that has to be meted out. We can't ignore it. Can't look the other way. We can't pretend that it wasn't really that which it was and plainly was. It has to be accounted for. And he's going to account for it in their place. It's not something. However bad it was. However much it was. How many years of sin we've totted up there. Many years we've walked upon this earth. Or how few. It doesn't matter. He can account for it all. 
and atone for it all. Bring us now into harmony and oneness and relationship, good standing with him as though on a Facebook account or whatever you might have there and you change your status. It's like done, isn't it? There, the click of a mouse. And in a sense here, it is done in a moment when we turn to him, confess that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Previously, your status was condemned. Now your status can change. Forgiven. You're blessed. Oh, happy man, happy woman. You are blessed if you come into this relationship. And people out there hear it and then push it away and try to make it vague again. and Bring back works and, uh, uh, and bring back vagueness. He's, he's a good teacher, but keep him away from me. Keep that away. That's what's what lies behind people out in the streets. And if we got, we were out on the streets, 10 pounds, everybody who told you I'm all right, we would be very rich people today. How do you, I'm all right, I'm all right. Because it's getting too near. It's opening up a world and it's, it's needing a decision. And there's a threat. There's a, in, there's an insecurity. There's a fear and it's there and it's somewhere. I'm better to say I'm all right and I move on quickly and try to address that fear. Do not be that person. Don't say I'm all right, because you're not all right. If you're going to be condemned into hell, friend, I tell you that, that's not all right. That's, that's, that's desperately sad. And it's avoidable. It's avoidable this morning if you come to this Lord Jesus Christ. He came to seek us. He came to call us, calling you perhaps today. He's come looking for lost sheep to bid them forsake their sin. Come be his follower, be his disciple and enjoy all that he came from heaven to bring to needy people on a sad, sin-sick world that really is not going to be able to comply with your hopes of a quiet life and the peace and everything. I'm afraid no wars and rumors of war will always be the lot here on earth. You want a Christ who can save you for eternity, not a sticking plaster, not some kind of vagueness to give you a bit of comfort so we can light a candle or two and that kind of does it oh friend it doesn't do anything there i might respectfully say you need to engage with him eternity is real if you feel uncomfortable and uneasy about eternity you're thinking correctly because that eternity is an eternity an everlasting reign kingdom But if you're not in Christ, it cannot bring joy. Eternity will be a place of hopeless despair, of reflection that you'll have to do at your leisure. Grief, tears, unfulfillment, lost opportunity. Here on earth, you lost opportunities. Here, to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Come back with the right answer. Ah, the saviour, the saviour that you Need the only one who does he not speak to us with calm authority? Do you not hear reassurance in how he addresses us? Do you not feel that he knows what he's speaking about here? Not the theologians, sadly, not the preachers there, but he does. And when preachers are near enough to him to just begin to resemble his message, well, maybe they know something there too. Do you not hear it? Calm reassurance. Do you not hear these words as one who is a friend, friend of sinners, friend of needy people, sinful people, lost people, people who perhaps have reached the end of it and know they've reached the end of it, that they can call upon him 
and that he'll be merciful to them. Do you not feel that, hear that? Because you hear him right. That's the authentic voice that's coming. And do you not feel that, yes, he, he actually, ahead of giving the keys of the kingdom there, down to the apostles and through their preaching to whatever today passes for right and proper biblical teaching, that that is within reach, that he can open to you doors of heaven, that he can shut emphatically the doors of second death, of hell, of condemnation, and bring lasting, true change, real peace, where it really counts between you and your maker, you and your judge. Do not hear that. Do not think he can meet the deepest need of your soul. Third, final heading, there is a confession to make. There is a response looked for, that if all of this, some of this makes some sense to some of us, if you're not here physically this morning, well, on the internet maybe. Well, friend, there is a confession to make. And it is to confess his name, not your name, not a preacher's name, not some great figure from the past's name, his name. You have eyes for only one person. If you've really understood the need of your soul, you're only looking to one person. Only one person is of any interest to you. And if you're asked, well, who is that person? You say, it's Jesus Christ, actually, dying upon the cross for my sin, rising and showing himself truly the son of God, him. That's, that's where I am now. And I'm, I'm following him, given up on the world, given up on that, hopes of other people, leaders, given up on that, They're trying to do the best, the poor things. But I've given up on relying on them. I'm relying on him because he has my best interests at heart. Peter, in a sense, could not but make that confession. He'd seen too much, heard too much, spent time with this person, got the heartbeat, understood What's what's driving this person? That indeed, he, he, this person is in the presence of God, communes with God, hears from God, does the works of God, is God. And he is compelled to make that confession. And the weight of evidence is just too great. I'd offer to you, actually, the weight of biblical evidence. We can't be with Peter. If you and I were to locate on the map Caesarea Philippi, jump on the plane, get out there, if we could sort of go there and locate it. Try and catch the mood, catch the moment. Probably raining, need an umbrella, I don't know. But it wouldn't be. You wouldn't need to do that. You need to go to the Bible. That's where you'll hear him. That's where you get his voice. That's where you've got the knowledge, the information, putting it in those terms that you can access and draw upon. And they can speak to you with the same authority. It's his word, you see. Speaks to you with that authority. Speaks to you in that friendly, concerned way. Speaks to you calmly reassuringly, with an authority that no other book, no other person, no other teacher can match. And it validates itself. The Bible kind of proves itself. How does it prove itself? Because it proves itself. And somewhere within us, we have to agree, it's just got a ring of truth about it. And it draws us in. Some people so fight against it, so want to argue with it, find every full stop out of place or something here they don't like contradicts itself here so they say well they've never been able to really prove that case satisfactorily and it doesn't satisfy them they know somewhere the game's up this book it's just so different and it is and it speaks to us with that authority and there are the words of christ and they're the words about christ and there it is talking about him coming into the world before in the old testament you have it all 
all its uniqueness and all of its power and all of its depth. And it all speaks of the Son of God, Son of the living God, who can offer to you this day, any day, when you seek him, eternal life. We have to agree with him. We have to listen to him. We have to be ready like Peter here, uh, who learned so far, but we quickly see had much still to learn. Flesh and blood come back into play. Doesn't like the, the thought of the Lord going to the cross and is now mindful of the things of men, which is what the devil would have us to do, to be mindful of the things of men. Great. Misses a point there. And we have to accept our smallness. We're not going to know everything. If we come to this God, he's not going to answer every single question that we have to our satisfaction. You learn to follow. You learn to be patient. You learn to serve. You learn to love him. Why, even if he doesn't tell you or me every answer, doesn't make everything that you hoped, I hope, would come true. Nevertheless, knows best. And we follow him implicitly trusting. Acknowledging we're foolish, we're weak, we're needy, but still trusting and following. We should not fight against God. Don't be tempted back to your old righteousness and putting that in the place. There's Peter getting it wrong here. And uh, not willing to admit that somebody, even this Lord Jesus Christ, needs to die in his place. Putting up an objection there and getting it so badly wrong. Don't go backwards. If you start it, don't go backwards. Hold him fast. Keep confessing. That name, not your own name smuggled in somewhere, not your own works kind of brought in quietly under camouflage, but they're still your and my works. No, surrender those up and see instead the glory of Christ. Let him fill your gaze and mine. Let him be the everything, the theme of preaching, the theme of what you hear, the theme of how you live, what governs you and your appetites, what holds you under his lordship, what proves himself to you day by day to be so loving and faithful, who has care for your soul and for mine, all he gave up there on the cross, what he gave by way of advertisement, of prophecy, what he would suffer, how much, uh, many things. And then we read those things when we come to the account of his, of his death, his trials, all that led to it. Many things indeed. Elders, chief priests and scribes, well, they should have known better, shouldn't they? But they didn't. That was flesh and blood. That was the things of men, not God, and how an offence they made themselves to him. Killed, but then risen. And able still to speak in the power of the Spirit. Still able to woo and call and invite you to come. You heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with your heart. Well, if you've heard, then you should come. Resist no more. Make him Lord of all and then truly confess him. Why well, invite you then? We have a baptistry under here. And for believers, if you're not baptized, we have a baptistry under here. And I know some friends are urgent, waiting that day when. And we look forward to that day when. Coming soon. Coming soon, we trust. Yeah baptistry confess him that's what you're saying isn't it christ son of the living god he is he's that to me and i'm showing it by this obedience this strange work of being baptized fully immersed in this pool of water that we can fill here well you confess him and keep confessing him 
You trust him and keep trusting him. Who do people say that I am? Well, give the right answer, the right reasons, and go on saying it. And if you've not said it yet, then may I urge you, urge you, you ask. Heaven may reveal it. You don't want flesh and blood. You want God to reveal this. Because then that's the voice that counts. And you will have peace here on earth. Peace through all the troubles. Peace, whatever we hear by way of news. And, well, take some advice from me. Don't believe half of the news. You follow where Christ is. Keep your wits about you. Do not be troubled. Rumors of wars and wars. Do not be troubled. That's what the Lord said. Do not be troubled. Okay? And you can be if you know that you have him, Christ, the son of the living God, accounting for your sin, preserving you today and forevermore. That's who he said he is. You agree with him.